be seated. All right, so at this time, we'd like to welcome all the little boys and girls and kids up to the front of First Baptist Church. Come on down, you guys. <clears throat> Disclaimer here, I'm on the tail end of a little summer cold, so if my voice sounds a little weird and echoey or I have a little cough in the sermon, please forgive me. Hey, I recognize this one. All right, I recognize a bunch of these kids. <laughs> games on my phone? I don't have any games on my phone. Yeah, I know. That Does that make me old and boring? <laughs> but sometimes I put them on when we go on an airplane or something, so Ellie can play games on the airplane and we can survive the flight. Yeah. <laughs> so, welcome, you guys. I got some of my nieces and nephews up here, which is also an awesome surprise. The Smith kids are here, so... I have two kids in the room and eight nieces and nephews. So, really, and you have a pen. All right. That's a good start. <laughs> so, kids, I don't have a huge long lesson for you. Of course, it's never long, but I do like to say that um, God, uh, Jesus speaks very specifically about you guys and people your age in the Bible. And he addresses you guys and says, hey, do not hinder. Let the little children come to me, Jesus says. He said, don't hinder them. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. The kingdom of heaven belongs to people like you. And I think one of the reasons he said that is because when we're your age, um, our hearts are so soft towards God and we want to listen to him and follow him. And it's, we're more, you guys are more um, able to respond to the wiring that's in your DNA and the way that you were made by God to worship him and respond to him. And you're less um, influenced by the world around you that wants to tell you to not follow Jesus, to not listen to God, to not walk with him. But you guys have a special place in God's heart and he knows that your hearts are bent towards him and he wants you guys to come to him. Jesus is always welcoming you to come to spend time with him, to pray, to listen, to learn and read about him. And um, it's even a message that kind of Jesus continues on for your parents and the older people in the room, like me. So Jesus says, um, not only does he says, hey, let all the kids come to me because you guys get to inherit the kingdom of heaven and it's made up of people like you because of your faith, your childlike faith, your honest, genuine faith in him. But he also warns us as adults that unless we are willing to come to Jesus like a little child in humility, we can't enter the kingdom of heaven. He warns us to not harden our hearts, to soften them towards God and have the faith that a child has. The faith has, the child, children, you guys have a faith that is massive. You guys believe anything is possible and it's incredible. You guys know the world is like this huge place and, and you could do anything. So um, just know that God loves your your hearts because they're such massive uh, storehouses of faith. And you guys can even model that and represent that level of faith in your household to even the grown-ups and people around you. So don't lose that. In fact, cultivate it. And one way that we do cultivate that faith that God gives you in your heart that he wants to generate and cultivate is in Sunday school. Whether you're at home and you're reading the Bible with your parents or you're in Sunday school learning at church, whatever that is. Or you're just having conversations with your friends. So... Um, Continue to grow in, in your um, 
relationship with God, he's always asking you to come spend more time with him. And he's always got more to go deeper with you. And he loves you. And he will show you that. He will reveal himself to you as you step towards him in faith. So, kids, let's pray together. And we'll send you off to your Sunday school class, all right? Does any, does any, of, you, does any of you guys want to pray? Do you want to pray, Brayden? All right, Brayden, you pray for everybody. Amen. Good job, Brandon. Give him a hand. All right, kids, go to your Sunday school classes. All right, adjust for taller people. All right. Well, let's see if we can get everything booted up properly here and all the technology working for us, not against us. I really wanted to do the apple seed analogy with them and bring some apples and stuff, but I, I was thinking back and I was like, dang, Pastor Jim just did that one like a few months back. So I realized it at the last minute, but we just went to Julian and picked a bunch of apples off the trees out there and my wife made a bunch of homemade apple pie from it. So um, that was awesome. But we had some like these cute little apples because that windstorm, you know, the rainstorm that came through, the wind just like 100 miles an hour up in Julian just blew all of their apples off the tree, except for the ones that are like, not even the size of a golf ball that were holding on strong that were not really ripe yet. So we picked a bunch of little ones and we made apple pie with it. So it was great. So anyways, if you ever get a chance, go out to Julian and, uh, and go pick the apples and then stop into one of the pie places there. It's pretty incredible. So um, welcome everybody. Again, if, you're, if I didn't introduce myself, my name is Ryan and um, I'm a member here at First Baptist Church and I've been here since... Uh, Late 2013, actually, so it's been a minute, and um, when I first walked in the doors of this church, I was, uh, I'd only been a Christian for um, one year, only one year, and I was brand new in the faith. I got saved in Washington State at a men's retreat when I was 27 and came down here um, and rolled into town on the day I turned 28, and uh, I was actually <clears throat> staying in a timeshare across the bridge, and uh, um a couple that used to go here, uh, one of the gals worked at the front desk, and I showed up into San Diego, and of course it's Southern California, because I believe, like the rest of the country believes, that there are no Christians here, and there are no normal people here, or sane people here. No offense, but that's just what the rest of the country believes about California. And so I, like, asked her, I'm like, hey, like, are there any churches in San Diego? Like, and she's like, yeah, there's like hundreds of them. And I was like, okay, I don't believe that, but and uh, are there any, like, normal ones or good ones? And she's like, yeah, I go to a pretty normal good ones. So, um, yeah, why don't you come check that out? There's a bunch of people, different ages and civilians and military. So, anyway, she invited me here, and then that's how I wound up here. So I just kind of share that a lot of times as, a, as a, um, an encouragement to you that uh, the power of invitation is incredibly powerful. Like, it just doesn't seem like it because all you're doing is inviting someone into your life over for dinner or to a church or to a Bible study or or um, go to go um, on a hike with you, or whatever it is. But you have no idea. We have no idea what God is going to use, how he's going to use that invitation. And it may develop in their life and their walk with the Lord um, in ways that we could just absolutely not imagine. So um, I just want to encourage everyone to be, continue to be, I know you guys all are, but to continue to be a people um, who invite people to come and see. And not just come and see what um, we might be doing here on Sunday mornings, but come and see your life. Come and see 
what you are doing and how you live a life of faith and devotion to Christ. And, uh, and of course, church is a part of that. So anyway, I just uh, wanted to encourage everyone with that. So um, let's see. It's up here. All right. So the message I want to share about tonight is, um, is called The Promise of Abraham. Um, so for those of you who don't know, I'm a navigator, which just means I, uh, I'm a part of a, a nonprofit ministry that uh, at least the part that I'm a part of um, is, is focused on um, reaching the lost and making disciples of people on active duty, particularly in the Navy in San Diego. So my wife and I are on full-time staff, and that's what we do full-time. Um, and so that's kind of our mission that God has called us to be on here in San Diego. And uh, this is one of the messages that I heard um, uh, early on and numerous times throughout my time and training and discipleship through the Navigators. And it's, it's, a, it's just this beautiful thread that runs through Scripture um, that uh, I think is just so important for us to have uh, a tight grasp on and how God has always planned to do what he's doing right now. And there's, there's left and right turns and bumps along the way, but his plan and his promises always um, endure, always come true. And he is always, we, the body of Christ, believers, the church, what um, the people of God is what, is what the church is, have always been invited and not just invited, but actually the key component of, other than the Lord himself and his sovereignty. We are the key ingredient to the entire thread that runs throughout scripture to build his kingdom. Because God is, wants a kingdom and a people for himself. And that is done with him by his power and by his spirit and his strength through you and me. Regular people get to be a part of God's grand plan on the earth. I know you guys know that, but I'm not sure if... Um, all of us have seen the dynamics of how that thread runs through Scripture. All right, checking my time here. So, the promise of Abraham. The, on the first slide, you're going to see where it all begins. Um, that's Genesis 1, right? We're all familiar with this. Um, raise your hand if you've read uh, Genesis chapter 1. Nice. If you haven't, no big deal. Um, that's your homework, is read through Genesis. And uh, <laughs> your homework, if you haven't read through Genesis, is to read through Genesis um, in the next month. That's my challenge to you. There's quite a few chapters, but you can do it. About a couple chapters a day, and you'll blitz through it. Um, and then after that, if you haven't read the Gospels, my challenge to you, encouragement to you, is to go right into the Gospels and start reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then... There's a thousand other ways you can get through the rest of the Bible, um, and you can kind of find a plan online or something like that. But starting at the beginning, we got God's initial act of creation, and he creates um, plants and animals and the universe and the world and all that, and he creates mankind. He creates Adam and uh, mankind, basically the original, our, our ancestors. So Genesis 1, 27, 28 says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Notice he said two things there. And fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, um, in the initial act of creation of us, 
the original people. God's purpose, as you see on the screen, was to make mankind in his image. He was going to, his plan was to create people that would bear his image on this earth and then fill the earth with his image, a people who represent his image. And then um, his method, you can see right here in the text, right from chapter one of the Bible, that his method to fill the earth with, because think about it like this, could, could God just speak like he spoke and create the stars, speak as he spoke and create um, and populate the earth with eight billion people? Easy. It's like a piece of cake. But that's not what he did. Why not? Why didn't he just do it that way? I think we'll find out. But his method that he decided to use to populate the earth with people that would bear his image and represent him on the, um, on the earth was multiplication. He said, go, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, my image bearers, and go out. So he, God actually... Um, God actually created the concept of multiplication. Of course, he created everything, so that's just kind of adding that in there. But God created the concept of multiplication, whether you're thinking mathematically or just how things exponentially increase. I mean, who's ever, who's ever studied um, or just uh, learned about the, the, the concept of exponential returns, right, and the math of that, right? God created all of these laws of logic and laws of mathematics and laws of physics. All of these things are immaterial. They can't be created by material, so it can't be an accident like some people might tell you. God created all of these things. So multiplication was his idea. And he decided to use the method of multiplication to create people who were like him in his image, unlike the plants and unlike the animals. We are in his image, and he wants to multiply that image on the earth. So... Next slide, um, Genesis 3. Who's read Genesis 3? All right, Genesis 1 and 2 is all about creation. Genesis 3 is what happens? <laughs> Crash and burn, right? Crash and burn, chapter 3. That's how far we made it. Um, of course, there was more time in the timeline of that. I'm just being facetious, but you guys get the idea. Genesis 3 is known as the fall of mankind. Um, this is where the image of God that he wanted to spread throughout the earth, the earth was marred. The image was marred. The image was damaged that we were to carry. And so I'll just read that. Um, so now the serpent was more, so you have Adam and Eve, Eve in the Garden of Eden, walking in fellowship and in closeness with God, not knowing sin, not knowing evil, not knowing death, pain, tragedy, suffering. And then the serpent Satan comes in more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, he says to Eve, did God actually say that uh, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Which if you realize there's a slight twist of what God said. God didn't say don't eat of any tree, right? You guys know what he said. And the woman said to the serpent, no, we can eat of the, free, uh, the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Uh, neither shall you touch it or you will die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and tried to cover themselves 
with loincloths. So Genesis 3, the image that God intends to be spread through mankind on the, on the earth is damaged by rebellion, sin, disobedience, all the things that you and I experience as we relate to God. So they started it and we continue that. And um, man multiplies now. Now man is um, multiplying not the image of God that he intended, but a damaged, distorted image on the earth. And really, in a lot of ways, the image of the enemy of God, Satan, was being multiplied on the earth. And we see evidence of that in the next part. So the next slide, you'll see um, what happens. The earth becomes filled with people. And um, Genesis 6 now, we're six chapters in, of course, a long time historically. But So then the Lord says, I will blot out man from who I have created from the face of the land. Man and animals and creeping things and the birds of the heavens. For I am sorry that I have made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So mankind basically got so sinful and was sinful all the time, is what God said. And um, he decided to destroy everyone who wasn't multiplying his image in the way that he intended on the earth. So his solution was um, to destroy and restart. So he did with the flood, but he found Noah and his family found righteous living for God in his intended image. So he spared Noah and his family, and Noah created the ark, and we know the story. God floods the entire earth and restarts mankind. Now, he doesn't change his plan. He restarts. His plan is always to multiply his image on the earth through the idea of multiplication, through the method of multiplication. And um, now he needs to start over and repopulate the earth and of course, same thing, right? Same thing as creation. He makes the earth. Adam and Eve aren't there. He could just went, boom, seven billion image bearers. But he doesn't. And then it all goes awry. And he restarts. And then right now, he's just got Noah and his family. He could also just snap his fingers, speak the word, and in his power and sovereignty, populate the entire earth in its fullest or to however, whatever degree he wanted to with image bearers the way he wanted. But he doesn't do that again. He sticks to his plan. So... Um, he chooses to restart again with the same method, multiplication. Then God chose to spread his image through a, he, he tweaks the idea of it now. And he cho chooses to spread his image through a missionary nation, which we would call what? I'm finding my place here, but I didn't hear anybody say it loud. What was it? Yes. So, he chooses to spread his image through a missionary nation that would be known as Israel to represent him and they would be a light to all the other nations on the world that would be, that would um, come to, uh, come to exist. So, we got it. We got it. The question, right? That's Israel. God decides, I'm going to create a specific people group amongst the peoples on the earth, and they will know me, and I will reveal myself to them, and I will um, spread my image through them as they represent me in the, earl, in the world. Now, um, now we get to Genesis 12. So, we get to Abraham. So, he, he starts this, uh, this purpose. Now he wants a missionary nation. 
and he wants to do it through multiplication again, so he chooses a man, and he chooses a woman, Abraham and Sarah, and he begins that process with them, and he makes a covenant with them. He says, in Genesis 12, he says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this is a fairly generic, but like huge, far-reaching um, uh, promise that has implications for centuries to come, millennia to come. And so in Genesis 12, God institutes his promise to Abraham. And he says, I'm going to start this nation through you, Abraham. And this encapsulates the whole plan, but it's not a specific, like I said. So he wants Abraham to walk with God and to represent him and Israel to walk with God and to represent him to the other nations of the world. You see this in Isaiah 49. Um, God says that you will be for me a light to the nations. So then if you read the Old Testament, raise your hand if you read the entire Old Testament. Awesome. Raise your hand if you're going to read the entire Old Testament. That's right. Okay, good. Actually, not a lot of hands went up. <laughs> Don't be scared. You need to read the entire Old Testament. <coughs> um, so if you've read the entire Old Testament, or even, <laughs> you don't even have to read very much of it, honestly, and you'd be familiar with, how does this go? God's like, here we go, restart the plan, a, a nation of people who represent me, Israel, Abraham, your descendants, boom, go. What happens? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> she was using sign language. She went like this. That was really good. Good synopsis. It, 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 it didn't go well. It really didn't go well. It's not that God's plan didn't go well. It's just that we as people are imperfect and we fail and we fall short of his um, intentions and his standards for us. But, so it really does fall apart. And I'm not saying that like in judgment of ancient Israel and all the people. And there were remnants. Just remember, like as a whole, the nation did not represent God well. They would rise up and they would walk with God and they'd be obedient to him and they'd follow his decrees and his commands and his sacrifices and the law. And then it would all fall apart. They would come to, comf they would get comfortable and they would get lazy and, and they would start to turn towards their own ways and desires again and again and again. And God would punish them and bring calamity upon them. Nations would rise up and rule over them. And it was, it was a complete cycle of disaster. And then they would repent and come back to God and he would restore them again and again and again. So there is a lot of hope in there of restoration and God's nature of forgiveness. But um, it was a dysfunctional pattern to say the least. So they would rise up, obey, go well, turn away to idols, punishment, repent, come back, forgiveness, deliver them out of calamity, continue the cycle over and over and over. That's the cycle of the Old Testament. So there was a remnant, though, in the, in the people of Israel that were faithful. Like there was individuals that can't be lumped into the whole sum that were faithful, just like Noah and his family were faithful. And Abraham was faithful, and that's why God chose him. So, um, but uh, as a nation, Israel never consistently followed God's ways obediently. They just did not. So this leads to the next phase. God is not abandoning his plan, as it might seem, and his plan is not really going awry. His plan and his method to accomplish it is always a people to represent him in his image, to bear his image on earth. And multiplication is always the method that he has planned to use to institute that. So he, uh, he speaks to Abraham 
and he's going to fulfill it. When God makes a promise, he will do it, right? Um, Numbers 23, 19, such a great verse, right? God is not man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he not said and will he not fulfill it? Has he not spoken and will he not do it? If God says it, he does it every time. We have a faithful God, amen? Yeah. So, are we, but, you know, I, I feel like I see the pattern of like where the, where it kind of keeps going awry. It might be, you know, it might be us. <laughs> but God in his sovereignty and his love and his grace and his mercy, he decides to use us still. So Abraham's offspring aren't as a whole, they aren't doing it so, so well. So God introduces us to another aspect of his plan that he had all along. So there you go. So we have Christ. So God's purpose now, Christ shows up on the scene, Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, right? To take away the sin of the world, to go to the cross to atone for the sins of mankind, you and I, and to be resurrected from the dead, raised to new life, to sit at the, at the right hand of the Father, to reign with all authority in heaven and on earth. Right now, Jesus reigns over his kingdom, over every nation, over every king, president, ruler, people, individual on this earth. His kingdom, he has absolute authority to rule in heaven and on earth right now. And he is. And that's, that's amazing. But how does this play out? How does this play into the plan? Well, um, God's purpose, he slightly shifts the way he's going to do it. Again, instead of using a missionary nation through the nation of Israel to represent him as a light to the world, he decides to create a, um, he populates the earth with a missionary um, a spiritual nation, a group of missionary people that is not limited to one race and one um, like the Israelites. So multiplication is still the, uh, uh, the method, but God's purpose now is a missionary nation, not a ethnic nation. Um, so Mark 3.14 says that Jesus had lots of people following him at this point um, into his ministry and disciples, people who are learning from him, and people who are just coming to hear, people who are against him, people coming out um, in the droves, in the thousands, um, almost on a daily basis sometimes to come and to see him and to hear him to be healed. But in Mark 3, he says, in 13, he says, and he went up on the mountain and he called to him those whom he had desired. And they came to him, and he appointed from them 12, whom he also named the apostles, so that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to cast out demons. So he calls them up on the mountain. He has a lot of disciples to choose from. He chooses 12 to be with him, and he's going to intention to call them to be with him, to hang out with him, to spend time with him, was always to train them because he was going to send them out. And so he's changes it from um, a missionary nation to a spiritual missionary people group that's no longer a physical race of people, the Israelites, but to a spiritual race of people like you and I when Christ came. He fulfilled the promise of Abraham and continues it, continues to fulfill it to this day. But, um, sorry, this text is really small. God gave Abraham the promise. And he saw it being fulfilled when God um, 
So God gave Abraham this promise, right? I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to expand you to many people and nations. Like, just count the stars. You won't even be able to, it's going to be more than that. Count the grains of the sand on the seashore. It's going to be more than that. And Abraham, of course, didn't get to see the full outworking of that because he died eventually. But he did get to see what he thought to be the beginnings of that. Um, what was the beginning of that? God said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. So what did God give him? A son. Yeah. What was his name? Isaac. Yeah. Um, so he gives him a physical son. And then Isaac, um, through Isaac, God confirms that he confirms that covenant to Isaac, as you can read in Genesis uh, later on. But he confirms that covenant and that plan that he will continue his covenant that he made with his father, Isaac's father. He tells Isaac, I, I made this covenant with your father and I'll continue it through you and through your descendants and through your offspring. And then you have Isaac and then you have Jacob and Esau, right? So Isaac's got Jacob and Esau. And then we know that story. Um, if you don't, we don't have time to go into it. But you have Jacob and Esau and uh, God works the covenant not through Esau, but through who? Jacob. And then Jacob has... A bunch of sons, right? How many sons did Jacob have? Twelve, right? <clears throat> That's when God expands this thing. Okay, Jacob has twelve sons, and then who or what came from those twelve sons? What's that? Yeah, the nation of Israel and twelve what? The twelve tribes of Israel of the people group that are to represent God come through that. And then you have 2.5 million people, you know, roughly, of them leaving Egypt and fleeing, God rescuing them out of Egypt from uh, bondage and slavery to the Egyptians, and then to Pharaoh. I don't think it's a coincidence that Jacob had 12 sons and Jesus had 12 apostles. I'm just going to let that hang there. I'm not going to go into that. But it's a really interesting thing to study. But through Jesus, you see, you could say that... Um, he is, the Bible even says that he is the better Adam, the newer Adam, the last Adam. Adam was one man who the, who the nation and the, the people of the earth came from, but he sinned and the distorted image was carried through him and through his genetics and through his DNA. And God stepped in, in one man, Jesus, and remedied that distortion and that, that disease, that problem of sin that we all have. Um... And through Christ and his forgiveness and the gospel and through a, an obedient people that follow him will create, will repopulate, will populate the rest of the earth with people who know and love and believe him and represent him in the, bear his image the way that he intended it to be bared. So um, Christ is a better Adam and a newer Adam. He's a better Abraham and a newer Abraham. And he's the perfect outworking of this plan. That's why he is the Messiah the anointed one, the savior of the world. Paul talks about this, that, hey, if um, you are Israel, you are a part of Israel if you believe and follow Christ. So this whole thing of following Jesus, um, if you believe in Jesus or someone comes to Christ tomorrow, like at your work or, or you share something or you believe, we are part of this family all the way back here with Abraham. We are a continuation of the promise that he is fulfilling, that he gave to Abraham way, way back. So, um, you guys are, understand this, and I know you do, but um, you may be familiar with this, but I think that uh, there's something here that we can miss um, if we're not careful. God's method to expand his spiritual nation, followers of Jesus, um, 
God's method to expand his spiritual nation is still multiplication. But we see that in the form of Jesus making disciples and his followers continuing to make disciples just like he did after he left and ascended back to heaven. So going back to Mark 3, 15, 3, 13, 14, 15, 3, Mark 3, 14 is insanely important. And there's three words in there that we'll just pick out, and you can unpack that for a long time. But you cannot overemphasize <laughs> over, um, the importance that Jesus chose a select few because he was in, hum in his humanness limited in time and capacity like all of us are. He couldn't just spend time with 10,000 people a day and, and do all these um, and, 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 and personally, intimately invest in and disciple every person that was coming to him. He needed to create a plan of multiplication to continue that, to pass on, so we could continue the process, and it would be doable. So Mark 3.14 says he appointed 12 that they might be with him. Be with him is the three words that matter um, for the sake of our purposes this morning. He chose them to be with him, to learn his ways, to walk as he walked, to do as he did. Jesus' plan was to send them out eventually to continue that process of discipling others in the same way he discipled them. He was showing them how to do it so that he could easily say, now go do what I did for you, and they would know what he was talking about. Um, so with, uh, with others, who's, who will continue the process, basically? So what can we learn from this method that Jesus showed us? How would you describe it? Well, the Navigators has a, a, a phrase... We call it life-on-life um, life discipleship or life-to-life life discipleship. One person's life intermixed and overlapped and interwoven with or to another person's life. As someone is involved with someone else's life, they see their life of devotion to Christ. They learn from their ways. They see how they live. They, they um, can pay attention to how they walk and they talk and they treat people and they share and they pray. Um, they reach out to others. Um, it really is a hugely encapsulating idea, but it's a simple concept. Yeah, just spend time with someone, disciple them. But it, it's simple in concept, but it is sacrificial in um, application. And it takes time, sacrifice, and focus to follow through with this. But the Gospels, I just want to emphasize that I believe that the Gospels are for detailed, perfectly accurate accounts of Jesus modeling for us and showing us how to live a life of devotion to God and how to make disciples like he did. So um, it's interesting. If you, uh, you can see even Jesus' method, sometimes we separate the Gospels and then the rest of the New Testament like like there's, like the Gospels were mostly primarily about the big, like the big takeaway from there to focus on is, is, uh, is the cross. Like Jesus' atoning work on the cross and his resurrection. And like, <laughs> I'm not belittling that. Trust me. That is incredibly hugely important. But that is the very end of the three and a half years of what um, is described there for us and recorded there that God intended for us to learn from. And... Um, and so you, sometimes we think it was like, that was like this apostolic kind of Jesus is doing his ministry. And then after that, it's, it's like the church. And then we focus on how do we do 
ministry, how do we do church, and things like that. And we get all of, we focus, we emphasize um, how we do life, how do we live a faithful life to, of uh, following Christ and make disciples and be the body of Christ and be the church and build the church and the kingdom of God on this earth. And we look to the New Testament after the Gospels to figure that one out. Um, of course, all of that is important. And there's a ton that we learn from the rest of the epistles of the New Testament. But I think, I'll submit to, me, to you, that the focus and the emphasis and the focal point of how we truly learn how to live a life of devotion to God and to make disciples is actually primarily in the Gospels. And you see the outworking of people doing that in the epistles in the rest of the New Testament. I mean, when you, if you can do an experiment for yourself. Um, you can read um, Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4, but it'd be a fun uh, exercise. You can pull that out, and any time that you see Peter and John or the names of the disciples in Acts chapter 3 and 4, substitute the name Jesus and just read those verses that way. And just kind of see what that brings to mind. What you'll see is, you'll see them the same. Let's say if you took a, uh, this is an experiment you could do with a new believer who's not familiar with the book of Acts. Excuse me, my cold is uh, getting to me. You can take the book of Acts and chapters 3 and 4 and lots of other things, and you can replace the names of the disciples there, the apostles there, and replace them with Jesus, and have that person who's read through the Gospels read that and ask them where, where they think they, they find, um, where they think you're reading from. And they will say the Gospels. You can even see it for yourself if you replace that because you see what Jesus was doing continued by the apostles in the New Testament. They were living the way that he taught them to live. It's like, his, it's like he never left. It's like he never left. And I think he intends our work and our lives to be a continuation and an expansion on this earth as if Jesus never left. We continue his work. Over 40 times, the epistles, um, sorry, over 40 times in the New Testament, Jesus says, do as I do, walk as I walk, follow in my footsteps or my ways or, or follow my example. And there's just different ways he phrases it. 40 times he emphasizes, do what I do, walk as I walk, live as I live. Um, I am the example to follow. And um, God the Father himself boomed from heaven saying, this is my beloved son about Jesus and his baptism. Listen to him. I submit that we must learn and even sometimes relearn as modern Christians to study more carefully the actual life of Jesus to begin to model our lives as best we can in our humanness after his way of um, loving God and loving other people and the way that he discipled a few. Um, he had his inner circle of 12, and Jesus was a, a master craftsman in terms of discipling others. I'm not talking about him being a, a craftsman or a carpenter or anything like that. Jesus was the master craftsman disciple maker in the Bible. There's a lot of other examples and things we learn, but Jesus is the master disciple maker. So if you want to learn how to make disciples, you go right to the source. You go to the master. And so, so to truly become like Jesus, because hey, like, I know as Christians, like, we all say, like, we're trying to become like Jesus. Like, I think we talk, we, I think sometimes we, and I, I'm not saying we as in like I myself, like, I've heard people say this and I do this and all that stuff. I think we sometimes 
oversimplify that or maybe just overemphasize certain aspects of becoming like Jesus to meet his character. And it is. It's like to become like Jesus is to become like him in character. And God transforms us through um, walking with him and praying and reading the word and being around each other um, to become more like him in his character. But not just in his character, but in his lifestyle and be like him in terms of his his the mission that was he was on to make disciples who would continue to make disciples, who would go make more disciples, who would make other disciples. That's what he was doing day in and day out. And to become, so to become truly like Jesus um, means to become a disciple maker, to disciple others. Someone who carries on the Great Commission, right? You guys know the Great Commission. To go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, fa- the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. To fulfill the Great Commission, to become like Jesus, means to become a disciple maker and teach them how to disciple others, how to follow Jesus themselves, to learn from Jesus themselves, um, and to obey everything that he commanded. So God fulfilled and modified through Jesus this method, but it's still multiplication. It's just not merely through having kids like it used to be. It's not through just having children who we raise them up in the Lord and we do that. But if we do that, the kingdom stays in house. If we only disciple our children, the kingdom only grows by addition, not multiplication. And, um, and that, so I, I emphasize the importance of doing that, but it needs to do, go beyond our own household and our own family members. And so um, to wrap up here, so I'm just trying to cut out a couple things here. So God is calling us to all raise up other believers, disciple them, invest in them, spend time with them, live life with them, train them um, to live a life of obedience to God, to understand and read um, the scriptures and to pray and to reach out to other people and share their faith and share the gospel and to bring others into the kingdom and then begin walking alongside of them and helping them grow and helping them grow and helping them mature and then sending them out. Jesus helped the disciples grow and learn and grow and learn and grow and learn. He sent them out as they were mature and ready to reproduce. So um, he sent them out into their normal circles, circle, uh, circles and rhythms of life and um, to find others and disciple others. So there's a, big deal, there's a big difference between addition and multiplication. I think you guys all know that. Um, have you ever heard the analogy of like the chessboard? Like, would you rather? There's all kinds of ver- variants of it. It's like, would you rather have, you know, a hundred thousand? If I could give you a hundred thousand dollars every single day for the next thirty days, or the next sixty days, or whatever it is, would you rather take that, or would you rather me give you a dollar and double it every day, or maybe even a penny? Would you rather me give you a penny and double it every single day? Sounds way better to take a hundred grand a day, right? <laughs> But if you do the math, it's not, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's not even close. You can't even, I don't even know how to pronounce the number that it comes to. You have a chessboard. You put a penny on one square of the chessboard. And if you doubled the penny every single um, day, there's two pennies on the second piece and four pennies on the third. And you get to the 64th. I can't even pronounce, I literally can't pronounce. It's like quadrillion or quintillion or something like that. The amount of pennies you would have after that. We're talking billions of dollars just at the end of a chessboard for pennies. So... You've heard the rice analogy maybe on, it's the same thing, one grain of rice, 
Would you rather have like, you know, an entire, you know, uh, you know, 50 barns full of rice? Or would you rather have one piece of rice doubled every day on a chessboard for 60 days or 64 days? I don't even know how many, was there 64 on a chessboard? Does anyone know? Is it 64, right? Okay. Can't be 60. Huh? There you go. Eight times eight. So it is, you guys get the idea, but multiplication. So think of it like this. Now, okay, money, pennies, rice, all that stuff aside, people. What if, what if everyone in this room, what if all of us, and I know like to, to, to all kinds of degrees, like we're all trying to do these things in different ways too, but what if, if you're not, what if everyone in this room discipled a couple people over a couple of years, every couple of years? What if every two years you turned over, and it's not, doesn't have to be exact, of course, I'm just saying hypothetically, if you discipled a couple people for two years and then to raise them up to maturity so that they began discipling a couple others each and they spent a couple years discipling them. And every two years, of course, you would rotate and pick up another two and disciple them, send them out. And then all those people were discipling and raising up two and they would send them out Help them walk with the Lord. Send them out. If everybody in here, I mean, I, I don't know how many people are in here, so I couldn't do the math ahead of time. But I would say just play with the math after after sometime. Um, it's It doesn't take very many years to have millions of people, disciples who are made just from the people in this room. It's not like, yeah, 50, 100 years from now when we are all gone, um, that there will be like a decent number. Like it's not even, it's, it's unbelievable how many millions of people can be made, how many millions of disciples can be made and people reach for Christ if all of us just spent time investing deeply in one or two people over a year or two or three or whatever it takes and just continue that chain. It's unbelievable. Millions of people of disciples can be reached in this world just from this room. If we take the slow, it's seemingly slow, process of multiplication. It's much more powerful than, than addition. Um, there's a book I read one time that said, if you could choose between being an evangelist in terms of, and it, it's not like an evangelist, is, there's nothing wrong with being an evangelist, it's great. We need all the different types of giftings. But if you could choose to be an evangelist, then you could lead a thousand people to Christ per day, guaranteed. Or you could just multiply yourself in terms of making disciples. Um, over, you know, days, months, weeks, years, and you would just disciple a couple people a year, a couple people a year, a couple people a year, you would, the, of course, the evangelist would be who led a thousand people to Christ every single day for all those years would be way ahead of you for, for years. And I forget exactly what year it is, but I think it's around year eight. You surpass the evangelist and people and disciples being made by the multiplication process, and then after that, it just explodes to millions. Millions of people from your life and your efforts made, and you could never catch up even if you led a 1,000 people to Christ per day. You cannot compete with the compounding effect of multiplication. And that's why God designed it that way. I think that's why he he's, um, wants us to live this life, um, um, follow Jesus this way, make disciples this way. So... Um, to finish off here, oh, here's a, oh yeah, it's right there. <laughs> um, so there you go, you got the actual number there. So over 36 years, you'd lead 
um, what, what was this one? If you led 1,000 people to Christ every year for 36 years, you got 36,000 people you led to Christ. That's it. That's epic, right? That is incredible. And there's some people that got gifts and, like, function that way, and that's good. But uh, however, if you led three people to Christ, and just in case you can't read this from the back, if you led three people to Christ and trained them each, one, to reach three other people, and everyone that was discipled in turn reached three other people each year, the three you discipled reached three people themselves. That after the end of 36 years, the number of disciples that came from you and your efforts is over a million. 36,000 versus a million. And now this is an exercise of, it's a thinking exercise. So don't take from this that I'm pitting evangelism against disciple making. I'm not. I'm just simply focusing on the compounding effect that God started way back with Abraham, continued with Isaac, continued with Jacob, continued when uh, Christ came and discipled um, his inner circle of 12 and sent them out. And then what are we, a billion what are we, a billion later? So it's a powerful message. But that's all I have for that. And I'm going to wrap that up and just leave it there. And I thank you for listening to that. But I, uh, I'm going to shift gears now um, to just sharing briefly. Um, we're going to be a little over time here, so I apologize for that. But we still have a really short service typically, so it won't be that bad. Um, so I am... I wanted to share this today. Why? Because I am so passionate about this idea of let's all, all of us, let's all make disciples. Let's all make a disciple this year. And let's make another one next year. Or let's take, maybe it'll take three years to, you know, to get that person ready. It really is a long, slow process. I mean, Jesus spent, you know, a few years with his. So I'm not rushing it. <laughs> but... Um, I'm really passionate about that, and that's why I, um, that's what we're trying to do specifically, multiplication to reach the lost, people that don't know Jesus and don't have a relationship with God in the military. That's what I do as a, as a full-time Navigator staff person, is we are trying to take the gospel to the places, the everyday places and the everyday spaces of where sailors in San Diego are living and where they're working on the ships and in the squadrons and in the SEAL teams or the SWIC teams or the EOD teams, um, in the shops and um, just everywhere. And we're trying to take it there. But of course, like, how much can I do? I'm just one person. So I'm trying to multiply my efforts and trying to help others multiply their efforts in their lives so that, um, and we're trying to train up people and equip them and disciple them, people who are in the Navy, who are active duty, who have come to faith, and we're trying to s equip them to reach their peers, their sailors, their fellow, um, the people that they work with. So that's what we do as, as navigators, and um, um, I have a little slideshow I want to show you guys in a second here. Um, I think it's like I could talk about it for, you know, 10, 20 minutes or whatever, but I think just... Uh, a picture says a thousand words, so I don't know like what 50 picture says, but <laughs> it's a little video. It's like four minutes long, and I think you guys will really enjoy it, and it'll be more interesting than me talking about it. But in a nutshell, if you had to see the 35-foot fly overview of just the military ministry, not including the Navigators citywide ministry that's happening on college campuses and, and uh, all over the place, um, we are uh, we're trying to uh, we're trying to reach the lost and make disciples and send them out so that 
there would be no place untouched by the gospel in the United States military. There'd be no place untouched in the, in the space of your Navy in San Diego. There'd be no ship in the U.S. fleet that doesn't have a believer or at least one believer who is actively living out their faith and laboring and reaching their peers. There would be no SEAL team um, that does not have an active participant in the gospel of the kingdom being advanced in their team. Okay? There would be no squadron in San Diego or the Navy that does not have what I'm talking about. And that only happens through faithful people and uh, making disciples. It really does. Because guess what? I don't work for the Navy. Thank God. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't work for the Navy, so I can't be on every ship, um, you know, on 32nd Street all day, every every day. I can't be in every squadron. I can't be in every SEAL team. I can't be in every platoon. Um, but there are believers that are there, and they are faithfully trying to labor and witness and disciple inside of that community. This thing just kind of came alive. Um, so let me just share with you that. Um, the video, and then I'll say a couple more words, and then we'll wrap up. All right, I'll get out of the way. Let's see if it'll play here. Welcome to the Brit Challenge. This is in honor of SO1 Christopher Brittingham, who tragically passed December 7, 2020. We've created a workout we think is going to test your strength, fortitude, and strategy. Coined from his catchphrase, 10 minute easy, it's a 10 minute burner consisting of a 400 meter run, deadlifts, and pull ups. We're really excited to have you come out and join us to celebrate Chris and continue his legacy.
So um, I hope you enjoyed that. And of course, <clears throat> there's so much more we could share and show pictures of, but there was just snapshots of kind of everything right there. So you saw Bible studies in this room that happen every Tuesday night where we're, we're doing discipleship Bible studies. And you saw outreach events and you saw camping trips and retreats and conferences where we're digging into the word for three or four days and going deep in this disciple making process and just fun stuff like getting out on the water and, and uh, you know, playing on the tube and the boat or going uh, dirt bike riding and, um, you know, camping, fishing, whatever, all kinds of stuff. So we're trying to just hit all the wickets because guess what? Like people in the military are just predominantly, um, um, it's a young occupation. It really is. So we're trying to meet them where they're at and create opportunities and events and places where we can gather them and we can invite people who have no, want nothing to do with a church service or a Bible study to come and hang out with us. And uh, then we can build relationships from there and have conversations about um, Christ with them. And then if they come to Christ and plug them into a, a deeper disciple-making community that we're, that we're generating. So anyways, I just created that as a cool, fun snapshot, and a thank you for your guys' support as a church as a whole, and um, um, I'll just throw it out there that if anyone, we're looking to expand, and we're looking to expand our reach and our impact in the Navy here in San Diego, so if you're interested in uh, supporting the ministry work that we do, um, or uh, Nate and Joy Smith, uh, my brother-in-law, and Hope's sister, we are the two full-time staff families for Navy ministry in San Diego with the Navigator, so if you're interested in supporting us, and, and giving on a monthly basis or giving one-time gift um, once a year or something like that, um, that's how we stay going. That's how we keep this ministry flowing is from generous donors like people like you. So if you're interested, come find me. I could give you more information. We could talk about it. I can share more stories if you'd like. But love you guys. Thank you so much for letting me share, preach, give an update, all the above. Sorry I kept you a little long, but um, I'm going to wrap it up. And then um, active duty and friends and family lunch on the patio. So let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for uh, just your plan and your promises being good and being true. And thank you for fulfilling them. Thank you for never breaking your promises to us and uh, helping us to, to learn and grow and become more like you. To um, Jesus, help us to see you for the fullness of who you are and how you're calling us to live our lives and to deepen our relationship with you. To help us to pray more. People that are praying constantly, consistently, never ceasing, of people who are reading and studying and dissecting the word of God to learn and grow and be transformed by it, to let our minds be renewed by it, and let your Holy Spirit empower us to do the work that you have for us, to be obedient the way you ask us, and to live the lives that you call us to, Lord. We need you in this process, Lord, and we're just joining you in the work that you're doing. You don't need us to accomplish anything, but you have you have decided that this is the way that you want to do it. And this is the way that your your church um, grows and becomes more like you and becomes a part of the work that you're doing on this earth to represent it. So I pray, God, that from First Baptist Coronado, whether it's the Navigator's Ministry or it's anything else that any of us are involved in, that we would be a people who are sold out for you, that lose our life to find it for your sake, that would lay it down and take up our cross every day and make the sacrifices of time and effort um, and scheduling and finances and, um, and just relational sacrifices that it takes, Lord, to really follow you um, as best we can and to help us along the way, Lord. 
And we really need your help, God, in this process. So I pray that you would encourage us all this week to lift up our spirits and that we would feel um, motivated by what your word has shown us today. Not by anything that I said, but just by the beautiful vision of, of filling this earth with a people who love you and are following you and are representing you here on this earth, Lord. I pray that we are all struck by that vision that you are giving us, that you clearly, clearly traced throughout all of human history up to this point. And I pray that our generation, everyone alive today, not my generation specifically, everyone on this earth today, all the believers in this church and worldwide would, would um, that we would be the, would not be a generation that loses it, that we take up the mantle and we take it up strongly and that we advance your gospel and your kingdom to every corner of the earth and every aspect of our lives, every workplace that exists, every friend circle that we have, that we would, that we would do that and that we would just give you the glory for it. We would just make our efforts laid at your feet so that you would bless them and that your kingdom would grow and your name would be known and you would be preached in San Diego and in California, in the United States and to the ends of the earth until you come back for your second coming. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody.